Attention everyone, this is an emergency broadcast. The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. Please do not turn off your radio, but turn up the volume on your receiver as high as it can go so that you can make the sound we broadcast as loud as possible. Welcome to episode 99 of the Kaiju Cast, a bi-monthly podcast 100% dedicated to Godzilla and all of his rubber-suited foes. Uh, and this is the Daikaiju discussion episode for December 2013. We'll be talking about the 1963 Kaite Gunkan in just a little bit, both with my co-hosts for the evening and the listener reviews as well. Plus, we have some cool news to share after the discussion, so make sure you stick around for that. But right now, we're going to play some requested monster music for you starting with maybe the last Christmas song you'll hear this year. Uh, this is Santa Claus Ga Yatakuru, which is Santa Claus is Coming to Town, but sung by the Peanuts, so that is your kaiju connection.
And we're back. So the the things I wanted to talk about for this music break that we have, the music block, the first one was uh, submitted by Ryan. Uh, that was not a request. That was actually something he hooked me up with, an entire like EP of Peanuts Christmas music, which I wish I had played on the stereo downstairs during Christmas because I'm sure I would have gotten the looks from my son and girlfriend. Uh, and then... Not that they wouldn't would have hated it or anything. And then we played the Godzilla theme from the NES Godzilla Monster of Monsters game. That was for Tristan. And then we followed that up with Sudden Attack in Broad Daylight by Lee Byung-woo from The Host. And that was actually sent to me by listener Mark Eaton. So, Mark, thank you very much again for uh, for hooking me up with that soundtrack. It's really cool when I get something that I have not been able to, to get from... Uh, from somewhere like Korea before. So that was the music, and we are going to go ahead and move on to our movie of the month because, once again, class, it is time for our Daikaiju discussions. Every month, the Kaiju cast takes one movie from the giant monster landscape and tasks the listeners with submitting thoughts, questions, and reviews for the following discussion episode. Thanks to an online tool, I have randomly assigned one movie to each month, ensuring that this podcast keeps going for a long, long time. This month, we're talking about Atragon, a.k.a. Kaite Gunken from 1963. That's right, another 50th anniversary film. It was released on December 22nd in Japan and in the U.S. by American International Pictures in 1965. Atragon stars many of the Toho science fiction players from the 1960s, with Jun Tazaki as Captain Jinguchi, both Tadao Takashima and Yu Fujiki. Those are the leads from King Kong vs. Godzilla. Hiroshi Koizumi, Kenji Sahara, Akihiko Harada, and Hideo Amamoto, just to name a few. Atragon was based on the Kaito Boken Kidan Kaite Gunken series by Shunro Oshikawa, a Japanese author who was heavily inspired by Jules Verne. <laughs> devastating device the mind of man has yet created. It travels on land and in the sea. It tunnels through the earth. Its crew, all supermen with super weapons, can freeze their enemies and enslave them. Fire and fear are the gods of terror on the hidden continent. No thing, no man, no adventure can match the nine amazing wonders of Atragon, nor the massive powers of its allegoric destroyer. You will see wonders that challenge the imagination. has set up a defense headquarters to cope with the new empire's aggression. You will see flying saucers. You will know terror that panics the world. 
Kusumi. I am agent number 23 of the Mu Empire. This earthquake is not accidental. We just finished watching Atragon, and by we, I mean Brian Cook. Hello. Rachel Cook. Hi there. And Mr. Martin Vavra. Hey, hey. And, uh, like, who here has seen this film before? I have. Me too. Okay, so Martin's the newbie here. Yep, very That's much good. so. It's part of the, part of the experiments. Part of the experiment, you know? yeah. yeah. The grand <laughs> experiment. <laughs> so, uh, I guess I'm gonna start with you, man. Tell me, tell me what you thought about this. This is your initial thoughts about Atragon. I thought it was very slow. Okay. I did. This, it was, it was very difficult to stay focused on this story just because it was, it was so slow. I found myself kind of wandering and I was waiting for the excitement to kind of kick in and it didn't really till the end. I think, you know, this is actually, uh, apt to discuss because you have, uh, never seen a lot of these older Toho science fiction movies, not just the Godzilla stuff, mm-hmm. but like, Frankenstein Conquers the World, War of the Gargantuas. Like, these are movies that you had never seen before, and they're very different from your standard Godzilla film mm-hmm. in the, in terms of, uh, of it being a monster movie or a sci-fi movie, like the Mysterians, you know, these, these are the kinds of films I'm talking about. And like, your reaction to a majority of them has sort of been like it was okay but it was slow or and i'm kind of i'm kind of thinking that this is just one of those things like older the older serious films like aren't really your thing which is totally cool but it's uh that was i was sort of like gauging your response like to see like how you know how does martin view the 1960s of Toho classic kaiju and sci-fi films. And like, I think, I think that it might be about the Japanese filmmaking, uh, like the storytelling mm-hmm. instead of, instead of it just being like, just that it's slow. But I, I admit, like, there's this, this is like Monster Zero where there's a lot of stuff going on before any action actually happens. But yeah. So slow. Yeah, it it's slow and and it's you know it's fairly simplistic and it and I think it goes along with what you're saying in a lot of the films there's there's really no subplot there's really no side stories there's really not a lot of anything going on we we stay you know pretty linear through the whole thing and we start to learn about you know we get a little bit about the the former admiral mm-hmm. and then the 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 captain who is uh you know when we discover them and he's they're building Atragon but you know, we don't really find out what happened. What, you know, why is he being gone for a while and what's led him to building this ship? And, you know, why is Moo deciding? Like, there's just all of these things. And I think you could very easily take all of that stuff and have too much stuff and overly pack it. But to be honest, there's lots of things where I, I just think we, we could have moved along a little bit mm-hmm. quicker. And, yeah. and there's a lot of stuff that, that could have been talked about and explained. Um, and you know, and, and it's interesting because when you, you know, you talk about it from, these are the, the Toho sixties. Um, and I, I guess when you look like there's a, there's a, a guy who wrote a book about script 
and it's all about script breakdowns and stories and where all the beats and everything happen. And you could kind of break these down. I think you could easily say where there's a lot of beats missing. And it could be that those are the early years. People are learning how to write their scripts or learning how. And yeah, Hollywood had what a 30 year jump on them at that point in time, a 20 year jump on them as far as telling stories in films. Yeah. And but like that takes time. But bringing up Hollywood, like, would you say that there's a, f- there are certain aspects to a formula that Hollywood would use even in the sixties that maybe just Japan doesn't have that same formula? Cause that's what I'm, I'm sort of assuming I'm not a film scholar by any means. I mean, I love, I love these movies, but I don't I, like we were talking about in a recent episode. I think it was the, the last episode of the Matongo episode. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not. I'm not a professional reviewist, so I don't have the, you know, the kinds of film knowledge about the inner workings of, uh, of plot development and such, you know, that would be able to, that I'd be able to tap into to compare this to, say, Forbidden Planet, you know, and like the, the storytelling aspect alone. I, I, per, part of me actually does believe that it's just a, it's a very Japanese, not very Japanese, but it's almost like when you watch a movie, and I'm trying to think of a good example, but like the original old old boy, which is Korean, obviously we're not talking about Love Korean films, film. but like the original old boy, it's not a very American style film, mm-hmm. like just in the way it's written. Like it doesn't, to me, that movie, I'm surprised, super surprised that they made a remake of it because... Uh, that America made a remake of it because it seemed to me like I was like, well, that's a very different way of telling a story. I don't know if that's that's not something that you'd see in America. And then, of course, it happened. But uh, mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot of films. There are definitely a lot of films in the Toho science fiction era that are just told from that same sort of uh, voice in a sense. And like, Mysterians is a really good example because it's not a kaiju film. You get Mogura for a, a minute and then he's pretty much gone the rest of the movie. And so this, in a sense, like echoes that. Like, I really like the Mysterians, but I admit, like, it's a slower tale and it's not something that's like just lots of action all the time. And the, the characters don't really evoke your typical, or I guess you should, should say your archetypical. Is that a word? Characters. Yeah, it is. You know, the tropes that you see and, uh, and the characters that you see in, in your standard English speaking tales. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering is like, is that, I don't want to say a barrier for you, but do you, do you feel the same way or remotely the same way about the, the way these movies have been, especially the sixties ones? Well, I, I think there's a combination of the fact that things are cultural. I, I would never, be able to say that I know enough about uh, Japanese culture and Japanese movies and how they like to, uh, I mean, ultimately consume these. The, I mean, these are really made as as consumer bits. All Anything that's meant to be any kind of a major run, it's consumable. So to say something from 1963 that was made in Japan that was meant to be consumed mm-hmm. by a large number of people who have a certain expectation of, you know, I don't know how many TVs people had in Japan in, in the 1960s compared to America, like on a per capita basis. And, and I'll, I will fully admit, um, that I think that I probably suffer from a, like if I were to be diagnosed today, I would probably be someone who has 
some ADD or something like that. And oh, because, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, but, you know, and you live in, you live in the 2000s. Yeah. Man. I mean, well, like, definitely. <laughs> and I'm, uh, you know, I'm 42, so it's not ADD. It's called coping skills because <laughs> <I>, they <laughs> weren't <laughs> diagnosing that when I was in elementary yeah. school. But, you know, I, so I've been tainted by the Iron Man's and the everything else that, they they have all of their beat points and you can break each one of those down and they've got the three act system and within those they've got all of those beats and you've got everything from the introduction to bad guy closes in and you know uh dark knight of the soul and all of these other things so my expectations are are sometimes really hard to let go of and go back because it's like we could have covered, we could have, uh, we're at, we're 45 minutes into this. We could have covered this in the first 20 minutes. Like, I, I yeah, got it, yeah. you know? And so that's, that's something I have to adjust to when I do, when I'm watching films. Have you watched a lot of, uh, older films? Like, I'm not sure, cause I actually have not. Like, basically, movies American that came films, out, yeah. movies that came out before I was born were, few and far between my viewing history but like absolutely uh but when you you know obviously when you're talking about movies like this where i'm like i'm going to be a kaiju fan and i'm gonna seek these <laughs> movies out like obviously i'm watching films that came out decades before i was born but you know if you're talking about american films really i haven't seen that many like pre-1973 films yes i've definitely seen some but like i just don't know the 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 voice of american storytelling in 1963 as i as well as i do the <laughs> japanese voice of of yeah. uh of japanese sto- you know gr- a really. great film to go back and watch it that's one that i love to go back and watch from time to time is the maltese falcon yes uh, yes yeah, i've yeah. never seen that that's, oh it's, that's just that's an um, uh, it's an amazing piece of work and and that's uh i want to say 42 uh, it's a little, or is it, is it mid forties? Yeah. yeah. Is it, is, yeah. For, okay. I'm, yeah. I probably went back a little too far. Yeah. 44, 46, maybe. I think it's after Casablanca, which is like 1941, but it's, it's still, oh, really? is it 41? Mm hmm. If only there was some network that would tell us. <laughs> I know that was right at our fingertips. Yeah. So 42 was a, was a good get God, gr- you know, great film. And you watch things like, uh, you know, uh, old Hitchcock movies and right. You yeah, know, see, I've only seen a handful of old Hitchcock movies. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, there's some, uh, and Orson Welles, there's a, a really great Orson Welles, all, all the remakes of things being remade and all this stuff. There's an Orson Welles movie that's, uh, called The Third Man that's kind of like a lesser known. It, it doesn't have any of the popularity of his. I'd love to be the guy where they're like, Hey, man, here's $30 million. Go make that one instead of Old Boy, <laughs> you know, but yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a really, Great kind of a lower budgety kind of an Orson Welles film. So yeah, I have watched uh, older films. Yeah, um, and, and I think that's part of the evolution of of the industry, right? Because as people start to watch them, their expectations become more. They want more stuff. They want more destruction. They want more creatures. They want things to move faster. You know, it's like, well, I've seen this, and when that starts to suffer at the box office, they start to retool that. Um, and, and I think that's just why that when you, if you compare 63, Hollywood was probably, you know, an ADD level faster <laughs> yeah. ahead of, yeah. ahead of them. So just, <laughs> we need to probably move off of this subject in just a minute, but, <laughs> Sorry. uh, 1963 films, the first one that comes up, uh, in this list, thanks to Google, uh, the birds, Cleopatra from Russia with love. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah, Fellini, we've watched all those. Just Fellini's recently. eight and a yeah. half. 
the Great Escape. I have seen that. I've also seen From Russia with Love, and I've some, seen The Birds. Those are some like, great movies. Yeah. Man, yeah. Cleopatra and It's Time. It's a mad, mad world. Oh, sorry, oh, it's, it's a mad, crazy. mad, when, mad, yeah. mad world. When you say the, the film's voice, it's interesting that you say that, because I've always thought of the term as like a cinematic vocabulary. And it is kind of like language where it changes over time and we have shorthand and things change, but editing changes so much in film language, you know, what visual storytelling changes. Like, for example, the scene where, uh, Atragon is freezing the turbines in the Mew base. Today, that would have been one cut, but we kept cutting back and forth and back yeah, and forth. Yeah. And it's those things like that that, like you're saying, it slows things down and it, it, it's noticeable nowadays. I, I've, I've kind of learned to accept it. I sort of put my head in the mind space of what was an audience. Well, as an audience member from that time period, what would I have thought of this movie? That's what I do whenever I see a movie. So I kind of forgive it for its, its flaws. But it is funny to point out, like when we watch War of the Gargantuas and we made reference of, we're watching people plug things in for like 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny. <laughs> set that up for every, yeah, yeah exactly. I remember that. It, for some reason, you know, that was, that was thought to be maybe not essential, but definitely at least filler to make a feature length you know, film. Yeah. So. And today a setup time for them to set things up like that, they would have never spent mm-hmm. that kind of time, no, you know, not at all. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. I think we should move on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that could be an entire episode by itself of just talking about the differences between the sixties and the and and the modern cinema. But anyway, so initial thoughts. Any anything else you want to add to your initial <laughs> thoughts of Atragon? <laughs> Fifteen minutes into the discussion. Well, you know what? Once Atragon started rolling, it, it it turned into kind of a good, fun film. I was man, I was impressed with uh, the whole the the models that they. There was some model stuff in there that wasn't so good, but the that whole cityscape that caves in that whole deal that was really well mm-hmm. done. That was very well done, and the Atragon stuff, you know, tunneling into uh, the the ocean and and uh getting into the into their base at moo and all that stuff really well done that was pretty sweet uh rachel what about you initial thoughts yeah i liked it i I liked the moo empire i thought that stuff looked really great um i liked the sci-fi aspect of it i don't know it kept reminding me of logan's run and i'm not really sure why but i think Hmm. just the epicness of the big um interiors of some of the shots um and i don't know the the funky the moo people were great like they had some really weird varieties of people do we want to talk about we, the weird painted man that, that no what, one, we cannot figure out what guy? that was I, <laughs> what is that uh, he was and really strange and i don't know his, was he supposed to be like his mouth and nose were it was like almost like he was painted red-ish yeah. and his mouth and nose and like circles around his eyes were painted white, nearly white. Of, yeah. And yeah. it was, I had never uh, seen, oh, I should say that this is the first time I've ever watched this movie on my big screen. So like this is the first cinematic experience I've had with Atragon, even though I've seen the movie multiple times. For some reason, I've just never noticed that dude before. Maybe I was reading the subtitles <laughs> all the time because this is yeah. also the first time I've seen the international dub of the film. But oh my gosh, that guy! He's so strange. I don't understand. I should take a, a screenshot of it and post it and yeah. just be yeah. on the Facebook page and be like, "Can someone help identify this?" Because 
Right. I don't get it. I don't understand what I was seeing it's like there. A gesture of the court of the Moo royalty. It's like a weird, yeah, know, it's like a weird so blackface strange. almost, yeah. but not blackface. Red bizarre. face, white face, orangutan face. I don't know what I was seeing there, but it was weird. Anyway, sorry out. to interrupt. No, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that was, I'm right there with you. It was weird. Um, but I, I liked the variety of the, the outfits and things were fun. Um, and I think, yeah, that that was my favorite part of it was the moo stuff I thought was. How many times have you seen Atragon before? I think only once, maybe twice, yeah. but yeah. at least just once. But it, it was a while ago. So. Interesting. Yeah. Mr. Cook. I love Initial thoughts. I, I, I've always been a fan of this movie. It is. Yeah, it's the, it's it's pacing is definitely its weakest point, And there isn't really a ton of stuff that happens. There's no big clash of, you know, there's no big climax in my opinion but the ideas are all so good that it's made me love this film uh and, and it was also hard to get at a certain point in movies like that oh, yeah got elevated in my mind as being a little bit more special but i've always loved the sub i love when the mu empire or mu empire sinks the city and you see all the buildings kind of collapse and fold in and uh, there's a, another Toho movie called Submergent of Japan where they do stuff like that. Yeah. And it's they're very cool. I love that effect. I think so. I think there's stock footage from Yeah, there's stock footage from the Mysterians, Battle in Outer Space, Mothra, and the Last War in this movie. And mm-hmm. I think some of that stuff might actually be stock footage, but I think it's not, yeah. not positive. I think it might be, but either way it looks great. Yeah. Whether it's from Submergent mm-hmm. of Japan or not. Well, my uh, initial thoughts is I have seen, I've probably seen Atragon maybe about five or six times in total. And it's one of those films uh, like The Mysterians where I really enjoy it for what it is. And um, I th- I would say that in general, the, the Toho sci-fi, you know, I don't want to say the sci-fi, but like the kaiju films, the sci-fi films, the the stuff that was made between like, the late 50s and and late 60s that's the stuff that i gravitate towards now a long time ago i didn't you know especially when i was looking for monster action and i first you know watched atragon i was like that's too bad that that manda doesn't appear earlier and have more to do with the story but it's not it's this is not necessarily this is like um uh what was that last movie we watched that was just basically like the Mysterians where it was, it was a movie that had a, a monster in it, but this, anyway, this is the Are deal. Is like about Matango? Maybe? No, I think because Matango is essentially that the justification of including Matango is that it's, um, it, you know, strange beast. And that's why it mm-hmm. was in the discussion. Oh. But like, like anyway, I'm just going to use, uh, I'm just going to use, Mysterians as an example because Mogura is only in it for you know a blink of an eye compared to the rest of the movie but Atragon is for me much more enjoyable because I really like the story I like the characters I like the the actual plot I like the uh the goofy stuff that's in it too and I um as we were watching it I'm just sitting there going I love the fact that Jun Tazaki has a major role in this film. I love uh, seeing Tadao Takashima and um, Yu Fujiki, I think is his name, is the, you know, the guys from uh, King Kong versus mm-hmm. Godzilla. And just like the cast in this movie, I would say that's mm-hmm. probably like what elevates this film into the upper echelon of my favorite 
you know, Toho science fiction films, because this is definitely near the top of the non-Godzilla movie list for me. We've all talked about stuff we kind of liked about the film already, but what did you guys really not enjoy about the film? Some Like, pacing might be one that could be definitely something, but let's get a little more specific. Uh, were there problems with the plot for you guys? Did anybody have an issue with the uh, the characters or or the effects? I'll just go out on and start. <laughs> I'll start with a negative and say, I really wish that Manda had been done a little bit better. Mm-hmm. It's such an amazing design. And like, if you look at the actual, um, the, I don't want to say the suit because he's a puppet, but basically, if you look at the puppet of Manda, uh, they've obviously got several different versions of him. And the bigger he is, the more impressive he is, the smaller mm-hmm. the puppet, you know, the oh. more the more jiggly he looks in the water. And yeah, <laughs> that's that's the thing him. I don't like him. So, and that yeah. bothers me. Yeah. That just bothers me. Uh, I recently hung out with um, the mayor of Dinosaurs, one of the listeners to the show, and uh, he came to visit Portland. And I was asking him about, or we were talking about Ultraman, and uh, I said, he said that he doesn't really like Ultraman because it's like if you told someone... I love movies about, I can't remember the actual animal he used, but he said, I love movies about puppies. And they say, oh, you would like this TV show, and it's about a dude who beats up puppies. (laughs) 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 I was like, that's awesome. (laughs) I have to use that. Uh, but yeah, so this is a, this is the same kind of thing for me. I really, like the puppet of Manda kind of bothers me because he, he, on the strings doesn't look so fluid, but, um, the fact that they beat Monda and like potentially, you know, potentially kill him. I mean, he's frozen on the bottom of the sea uh, at absolute zero temperature. And everyone in, in the Moo Empire apparently has like very high body temperatures. So I'm assuming that Monda does as well. That's, that bothers me. What about you, Martin? <laughs> I, I really want to know what the captain of the ship was doing hiding out. Did I just miss that whole section? Did I miss it? Did they ever no, they explain don't. why that guy is in hiding with his crew? Not really. And but... building the ship for any reason? Was it being built for any reason that any... No, no. He was building his... the ship for Japan. Yeah. But if you think about it, like, he doesn't have his own... I mean, he had to build his own foundry. He had to build his own base. He had to yeah. basically mine the materials. Like, the problem with that aspect of it, for me at least, is that he's... It's 20 years. Like, if we're talking about, yeah. like, a 10-year span, sure, you know, I can see it taking 10 years to build the, the Gotengo, but, like, you're talking about a 20-year span, like, his daughter's grown up, mm-hmm. like, he's just... Com- and I understand... Yeah, we're talking about national- the glory the, of Japan. Yeah, exactly, the nationalistic aspect of, you know, the m- Japanese military. Uh, but, yeah, I, I guess I... I guess I don't have a great answer for you there, but, but that's what no, he was doing. He had no like attack plans. He's not like, yeah, we did good timing. We just finished this, and here's <laughs> what we were planning on doing with it. And the and the admiral had apparently kind of covered for that's him perfect timing. We escape. just finished the Atragon. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God the Mu Empire didn't attack yeah. last week. Man, if this had been any sooner, you guys would have been hosed. Yeah. So it, it was. It just. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I I wanted that, and I guess that's part of that whole wanting of the subplot or the extra story or something. Like I I wanted to know. You but need it was, the prequel. We were just kind of yes. Yeah. Can we do a prequel to that one? We can <laughs> sure, probably get sure. three movies out of that. We we'll have to recast <laughs> it because a bunch of those people are no longer alive. Mm. June Tazaki died in '85, and 
Anyway, uh, well, it's yeah. working for old boy, so you know, yeah. we can... <laughs> sweet, <laughs> our favorite. <laughs> I'm sorry, I brought up old boy for the record. I apologize to the listeners. Uh, not a kaiju movie, not a not a Japanese film. It is interesting how he's like, uh, we didn't know about the end of World War II, but hey, we've been attacked by some people from the Empire of Mu. I didn't want to tell anyone back home about that. We've just been dealing with it here on this <laughs> island by ourselves. It's been very strange. <clears throat> yeah, I would say that uh, the that's almost like a you have to have that suspension of disbelief just for oh, that yeah. portion of mm-hmm. the of yeah, the yeah, backstory. Yeah. With the nationalistic atmosphere of, you know, Japan's military, would they say you go down with the ship or would they say he who fights and runs away lives to fight another day and, you know, let the 403 get captured? They certainly wouldn't say the second they would say go down with the ship. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yeah. Anyway, what about you, Rachel? Um, I, I would say that I, as far as negative things goes, I guess... It is a, a little bit slow, but I, I didn't feel like it was too bad. I, I just watched, I felt like, the slowest movie of my life, a James Bond <laughs> um, film, For Your Eyes Only. But um, So this felt fast compared to that. But, um, but, uh, but yeah, it it's, um, I do want, I, I think my big thing, like we kind of already talked about, is I would love more of Manda and more of the Atragon ship too. I th- I think it's an awesome ship and they show it a lot, but who couldn't go for more of that? Yeah, you it's get a lot sweet. of Atragon towards the end, but yeah. like until until the base explodes, mm-hmm. you only really get like a mm-hmm. here's what we can do. Okay, it's going back in the water. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think that also uh didn't really live up to the trailer. Uh, uh, you know, was... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if any movie could live up to that trailer. Good Lord. <laughs> that was crazy. I- <laughs> the trailer. The trailer's funny. So, um, but Brian, <laughs> you're up next. <laughs> um, yeah, as far as negatives go, there's really not a whole lot. Like I said before, there's really not a whole lot going on. Um, in an era where we're so used to seeing reboots and remakes and that sort of thing, for movies that I feel are sometimes very unnecessary to have a remake. I think movies like Atragon or Mysterians have such such amazingly good ideas and definitely amazing production designs. Those kind of elements could be rewritten into fresh new, you know, movies and you could flesh out all those elements like what was he doing on the island? What and that's that's a weird criticism to have to say that's my negative pull. Yeah. Yeah. But the opportunities and and the the promise of uh, of the ideas that are there, uh, I don't think they were ever fully achieved in the film Atragon. So. Yeah, but Atragon was made fifty years ago. Right. right. There's you would have to make some major changes to the to the backstory. I really don't think audiences today would identify with Captain Chinguzi. Oh yeah, no. Like I mean, you'd have to. I re- I mean, I couldn't even see it. Even a Japanese film. Taking, I wondered, you know, what, I wondered what the reaction to that would have been at the time period for people, especially people that served in the military in Japan. What was their reaction to a character like that? It's interesting to to think about. Yeah, I can't. Obviously, I cannot speak with any authority on the matter, but I can imagine that if you were in the military in the uh, there's a moth in there. Uh, <laughs> 
Mothra. 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 <laughs> uh, I would imagine that if you were in the military in, uh, you know, in World War II, in Japan, of course, uh, and you saw Atragon, you would probably be able to really identify with some of the, the, um, the themes that mm-hmm. are being talked about. And you might even be able to identify with, uh, with Jinguchi himself, mm-hmm. you know, because I know that that was a pretty, strong stirring movement that was happening in japan like the whole oh, yeah. uh you know suicide bombers essentially mm-hmm. the you know um my brain is broken i can't remember kamikaze. the kamikaze yeah. guys yeah like that's like huge and the fact that you know japan laid down its arms because of the bombs of course mm-hmm. but uh you know i'm sure a lot of people were not into surrendering essentially you know they'd been brought up with that mindset or brought into the military with that mindset of you know the great glory of japan it would be interesting i would like to read some reviews like translated reviews from uh, from 1963 it'd be crazy uh let's talk about awesome stuff what was the best thing about atragon the ship the yep, ship itself the ship. The ship. <laughs> has, yeah. to be, yeah. has to be the actual boat. it's a pretty awesome design and uh like i actually atragon is probably my favorite toho mecha design oh, wow so much so that i have the most expensive <laughs> version <laughs> yeah. i could buy i got it for cheap but uh but yeah i love the design of atragon and I love Manda. Manda is one mm-hmm. of my favorite monsters, really. And I love this Manda, the more like traditionally Asian dragon looking Manda, not the one from Destroy All Monsters where they kind of brought the features in and made it more of a snake, I think. I have a sidebar that we need to talk about because yes. I haven't really seen it talked about anywhere else. And um, I wouldn't even know about it, really, uh, unless it was for uh, the release of Ultra Q as of late. So um, he's downstairs. He's not on display up here because of the holidays and we have green and red monsters downstairs on display in the living room. But, uh, you guys should know that Manda was reused in 1966 by Subaraya. I took the Manda puppet from the Toho lot to Subaraya and they shot Ultra Q, um, with the Manda puppet for this one episode called Grow Turtle where Oh my God, there's no way I can explain it in the amount of time I want to talk about this. But like, (laughs) essentially this little kid imagines or doesn't imagine that he goes to this undersea kingdom and there's a princess that's riding a dragon and the dragon is Manda. So they're using, they're using it in this episode, the actual, uh, the actual dragon puppet. And then, uh, that's awesome. And then there's another episode. So the episode is I saw a bird and it features, um, it features this giant bird, but the deal is there's this ship, this ancient vessel in the water, and uh, like a Viking ship. Mm-hmm. And you guys know what's on the front of Viking ships a lot of times, and you know, yeah. is this dragon head. They chopped Manda's head off and put it on this boat. Wow. That is awesome. So, I mean, it is, I was watching it and I, I wasn't even really. <laughs> You know, I'm paying attention to the story and stuff, but I was watching this episode and I was like, that boat has, it looks like it has Manda's head, but it probably hasn't. And then as it starts to sink, you see the head sort of get floppy a little bit. And I was like, 
That's what happened. That is what happened to Monda's head because in Destroy All Monsters, it looks completely different. It, it used I I used to think that they would just taken off the horns, or the horns maybe had broken in the five years since they made the movie. But <laughs> it's because it. <laughs> Subaraya chopped off the head completely. So I think they re-sculpted wow. the entire head because of that. So there you go. There's my there's my uh, sidebar. So nice. Back back to it. The design of Monda. Huzzah. Like, <laughs> better in this movie than in Destroy All Monsters. I will absolutely agree with that. Not that I, sure. you know, the Destroy All Monsters one looks fine and everything, but this is the one I prefer. And, that, and there, he's in Final Wars as well. But The design he, in Final Wars is really cool, though. Yeah. I mean, it, it looks, CG, though? It's Final all, Wars? well, yes and no. I believe it's all CG um, when it's moving around, but they actually made Amanda sculpture for the frozen version mm-hmm. of him that they then plow through with the Gotengo. <sighs> Sad times. Sad times. <laughs> what about you, Rachel? Tell me um, something awesome about Atragon. Hmm. What about the, the, I, the release date? Oh, yeah. Hey, I don't know that that fits right <laughs> No, I, I thought it was cool that when we were looking up when it was released earlier today, um, that it was released 50 years ago and one week yeah. today. Yeah, which we are recording this on the 29th. Yeah, it came out on the 22nd. But yeah, yeah, December 22nd. Hachi's 1963. Wow. So, yeah, but it was supposed to be rad. like a big New Year's release for Japan. But oh, interesting, yeah. interesting. Yeah, I saw on the IMDb page that there were there were reference it, references to it coming out in 1964, which confused me because I know it came out in 63. It, in America, it came out on March 11th, 1964. That's Brian and I's anniversary is the only reason I remembered that one. <laughs> what? This movie is Not hitting on all the anniversary notes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, Martin, you got to tell me something awesome about this film, man. All right. So this, I, I love the model work. I, I love the ship. I thought all of that was great. This is probably going to be really stupid, but this was one of those little detail moments where I was like, all right, that's kind of cool. And Atragon is carving its way into the, the Moo city. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and it's just the the butt end is sticking out, and there's actually like dirt vents. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. It's, yeah, it's actually cool. venting the stuff out of the way, and it's got a and it's shooting it out the back, and I'm like, wow, that's actually engineered pretty well. Nice work. Similar <laughs> to that on the large scale Atragon Gotengo model, the blades are not just like a saw blade, which I always thought it was like a saw blade. No, they're a claw. But it's like, it's more like a, uh, yeah, it's like a it, claw. It's like how it's it almost like a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. Like the way that those move, each individual piece is attached and going around that circumference. It's just yeah, really cool. The design, yeah, the design of Atragon, seriously. It's mm-hmm. rad. Now you had, you were surprised that I said Atragon was my favorite mech. I'm sure I probably contradicted some other thing i've said in the past but <laughs> but uh why why would you be surprised about that oh uh, i think my i think i was surprised more that um i definitely count like the maser tanks as part of the mech technology but for some reason my brain had never you know 
put Atragon in that category. Mm. So when you said that, I was like, oh, wow, that is, that totally counts. That's, oh, yeah, yeah. What a great call. So, I mean, ma- Major Tanks are awesome. Don't yeah. get me wrong. The A-Cycle Light Ray, also awesome. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, so is the Atomic Heat Projector from Mothra. So is, you know, the Moonlight SY3. There's just, right. there's a lot of things out there that, that count in my brain as as being mechanized uh, Toho science fiction weapons or vehicles. And just for me, uh, the Atragon is just such a fantastic ship. I mean, it's with the exception of the flying aspect of it, it's really quite believable in a sense. Like the, if you could, I'm sure the inside of the ship can't really, you know, retract the tower so much, but I mean, you can do that a little bit in submarines anyway, right? Don't they have like retractable bits? Who knows? I'm not going to hazard so a I know the periscopes go down. That's all. Yeah. There's <laughs> some bits of their conning tower go, but not a lot. A lot of them have diving planes along their conning towers. Mm. Well, I, I really like Atragon. I was excited to see it in Final Wars in its regular form and then disappointed to see <laughs> the <laughs> updated version of I don't think I actually own one of those. I don't have an, a Final Wars version mm. of the Katengo, and I'm Kind of glad. Someday, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think we should probably move into final thoughts because we've been talking for 38 minutes about this particular <laughs> subject. Final thoughts, Mr. Martin Vavra. Uh, I did enjoy this. I don't think this is a, a movie for newbies uh, as an introductory film, but I think once you're well versed in the in the universe of of other kaiju type of things, I think this is a great one to get into. Gotcha. I agree completely, completely. One of those, after you've seen the monsters, go back and hit the classics like Atragon. Rachel? Um, I would say that, yeah, it's it's fun. I think it could, yeah, I could see other fans as well um, enjoying it without the all the monsters just for the story aspect that you get a lot of people interaction and drama and that can always be appealing to more general public fans. Brian, how about you, man? Well, <clears throat> I would have to agree with what everyone said, so I'll throw out a piece of trivia. Uh, June Tazaki, is that the, the, mm-hmm. the captain? Yeah. His role was originally supposed to be for Toshiro Mifune, but Toshiro oh, Mifune yeah, yeah. could not do the role and had to do, uh, he did Redbeard with Akira Kurosawa instead. But having said that, I thought, uh, June Tazaki was amazing as the, the admiral. So. Awesome. Uh, my final thoughts on the film. You know, you, you've heard the current of what I've been talking about this entire time. Adragon is one of my favorite, not just mecha designs. It's one of my favorite Toho science fiction films. And that's, it's not as, uh, as high up as some of the Godzilla films because man, I love me some monster destruction, but I really enjoy the story. I really enjoy the story. For me, the whole battle between the nationalistic, you know, captain of the Gotengo, Versus the, um, in a sense, the deflated Admiral Koizumi, who, you know, is, has been raising Captain Jagusi's daughter for 20 years. Like that to me, and the fact that, you know, there's this tension between the characters, that is classic Honda. And that's what I love about this film. This film to me really means, I mean, this is like the, the apex of, of Japanese. Toho science fiction movies and, and Japanese cinema for me is like 1963. This is like, this is it. And so while I might not suggest this to a brand new person, I would definitely mention it and be like, okay, so once you finish watching all the Godzilla movies, 
gotta watch Atragon. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the mm, the most annoying thing about Atragon for me is that it was available from Tokyo Shock slash Media Blasters, and it is no longer available. And so much so that jerkwads on the internet are charging over $200 for this film. It's enraging as a fan. Uh, I will say that in the past, when I've mentioned something along the lines of, boy, I wish I could see the AIP dub of this movie that's never been released, Sometimes the fans, the listeners to the show, have been kind enough to point me in the direction of something, and I would love to watch the AIP dub of this film because apparently I've never seen it. So mm-hmm. if you have that information, shoot me a message at controller at kaijucast.com. Uh, but yes, this movie is awesome, and we did get a few submissions, and uh, here's how those went. Now, uh, I know that this movie was super expensive if you did not already own it. And it really, as I said before, it really bums me out that that's how that works. But uh, uh, that's just the way of the world. So we did get some homework sent in. So seriously, thank you guys so much for the people that were able to get it done. We're actually going to start with a Kaiju Core member. This is Andy Campbell, the creator of Kaiju 101. You've heard him on the show before. Uh, if not for listening to his homework, then hopefully you've actually listened to his podcast and he's going to be joining us in a very special episode very soon. But let's go ahead and hear what Andy had to say. So I just watched Atragon for the first time and I really enjoyed it. It was a great sci-fi flick that explored themes of nationalism and patriotism in post-war Japan. I liked the juxtaposition of the commander of the Atragon, whose patriotism is driving him to rebuild the Japanese empire, and his daughter, who he abandoned, who didn't even know what the word patriotism meant. Also, stuff got blowed up, and there were cool mechs and a monster, so everybody wins. Uh, some of the stuff I liked, I thought the effects of the sub being imploded and some of the cities collapsing were really well done. I thought the Atragon looked great. I thought Manda was a well-designed monster. I loved the reveal of him when they opened the window and all you see are his massive scales. I thought the sets were really well done. I particularly liked the Mu throne room with the big columns. I thought that looked really great. Uh... Some of the stuff I didn't like, some of the miniatures looked really hokey, especially the aerial shot of Moscow. It looked especially cheesy when it was used in a montage with actual footage of other cities. Also, there wasn't enough Manda. Other than his initial cameo, he doesn't show up until the last 15 minutes, and even then he doesn't really do anything. Um, I thought the dive suits with the big silver scales looked really dumb. And when the Atragon pierced the Mu power room at the end, shouldn't the whole thing have flooded? Also, the Mu Empire has been around for how long, and they never named their god? When they pray to it, they just call it Mu God. You know, they named their messenger Manda, but he's just Mu God? That didn't make sense. Anyways, those are just minor quibbles. Altogether, I thought this was a really solid movie. It's one that I would definitely show to any newcomer. Um, Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go pray to Canada God. Big thanks to Andy for sending that in. Remember, if you want to be part of the Kaiju Corps, that's awesome. All you have to do is go to kaijucast.com slash support to join. That being said, we are going to move on to the rest of the Daikaiju discussion homework. Michael writes in to say that Atragon does an excellent job of building up the Mu Empire as a credible threat to humanity. They generate earthquakes that level cities. Their submarines turn harbors into infernos. Their field agents have superpowers, and they worship a living, monstrous god. Unfortunately, all of their menace crumbles once faced by the Atragon itself. Manda is helpless in the face of the submarine's electrified hull and zero cannon. 
These soldiers guarding Mu's precious generators are nothing but ordinary folk armed with spears, and their submarine's laser cannon can't hit the broadside of a flying battleship under pressure. Yet despite the film's dramatic failings in its final act, Michael can't bring himself to dislike it. This is the original Toho team at the height of their powers. Sekizawa makes the post-war update of the source material look effortless. Hifukube proves himself once again to be the master of the military march. Tsuburaya and his team realize the Atragon wonderfully and deliver urban destruction in ways seldom duplicated. Honda keeps the pace from dragging, even though most of the visual spectacle is saved until the end of the movie. And Tanaka, well, Tanaka insisted on a giant monster and made Atragon better for it. The cast is full of Toho sci-fi regulars and equally impressive. In particular, Jun Tazaki is finally given a leading role and knocks it out of the park. And Tetsuko Kobayashi balances royal haughtiness and self-sacrifice to create a memorable villain in the Mu Empress. Though he finds it outclassed by many of Toho's other science fiction efforts from the era, Atragon is still required viewing for any kaiju fan. Atragon is one of Adam's favorite movies, very beautifully shot and produced with some of the most spectacular matte paintings seen in any movie. Subaraya and his crew went above and beyond building miniatures and shooting effects shots. Not to say the movie doesn't have its problems, such as the Moo waiting until Atragon was already completed before launching the attack, kidnapping Jinguchi's daughter, hastening their own demise. Had they simply left her alone, Jinguchi would have no reason to change his mind and aid the Earth. Also, the notion of keeping journalist Umino in police custody occurs to no one. The more serious error shows Umino tossing a homing beacon overboard to alert the Mu, a scene that's not needed and only serves to alert the audience to the fact that he's a spy before he goes kidnapping Jinguchi's daughter. Also, Manda serves absolutely no purpose in this film other than to pad out the time as he gets beaten quite quickly. Despite those flaws, Atragon is a very enjoyable movie, and one can tell that Honda was very enthusiastic in shooting the film with a number of excellent scenes. Agent 23's abortive kidnapping attempt at the beach, the pursuit of a Moo submarine by the American sub, intriguingly named Red Satan, and his favorite, the launching and surfacing of the Atragon from the beautifully created dry dock. Atragon will go on to appear in a very well-made anime entitled Super Atragon, which Adam first owned before even seeing the original Atragon, Final Wars, and Super Starfleet Caesar X the movie fight Dar Warriors. I've never heard of that before. In which it quickly gets taken out, leaving you to wonder why they even included it in the first place. Atragon slash Undersea Warship is definitely the greatest movie ever. Jamie writes that this movie was a visual delight. Like in most of the 60s movies that Toho made, the miniature sets were simply fantastic, from the Mu underwater city and the power generator set, to the Tokyo cityscapes that were sunk. To the Gotengo itself, it was just amazing to look at. There were also some great performances in this film. Captain Jinguchi is a forceful presence on screen, and you can easily see how he led men in secret for 20 years in constructing a secret base as well as the Gotengo itself. Understandably, his relationship with Makoto when they met was awkward, and with the great generational gap between the two being one of the main causes of their being unable to talk with one another. He tries and she tries, it's just not easy for them. However, this isn't a movie he would share with first-timers to Toho movies. Jamie would share this movie with the hardcore crowd as he found the plot to be very slow. He was expecting more action, but having the everything in the last 15 minutes just made it feel like they were stretching things out. The ending was appropriately somber since the conflict resulted in an us-versus-them situation where only one would survive. Jamie just wondered why else would the Moo want to conquer the world. 
He got the sense that there was a power supply problem because of one scene where the Moo is experiencing an earthquake. Mondo looks like he's freaking out when he's moving about underwater, and Jamie felt he looked and moved much better in Godzilla Final Wars. Oh, speaking of, uh, I realized after I mentioned it uh, during the discussion aspect of it that there was actually uh, a puppet of Manda used in Final Wars 2. It's just sort of overshadowed by the <laughs> well-moving CGI version of him. Aubrey was very excited to see Atragon, but disappointed to see how expensive the DVD was in used condition on Amazon. Luckily for her, her local library had a copy. Seriously, that is awesome. Uh, I applaud you for using your local library. And I applaud your local library for having such classy films. Uh, even though the kaiju aspect of this film seemed like an afterthought, she really enjoyed it. She thought Manda was an awesome monster and loves the way that it moved in the water. A lot like a real snake swimming. Great puppet work. She recently watched Final Wars for the first time and was pumped to see the original Manda slash Gotango face-off. Aubrey's favorite aspect of the film was the set and miniature design. From the Gotengo's sub-pen to the Moo throne room, the attention to detail was apparent. Her favorite set was the Moo generator room at the end of the movie. It reminded her of Fritz Lang's Metropolis, one of her favorite films of all time. My lady loves Metropolis, I should say. Aubrey doesn't think that she would show this to a kaiju newbie as an example of the breed, but would recommend it to anyone who enjoys old-school sci-fi and adventure stories. All in all, a fun flick. Mike Keller writes in that Atragon is a classic of Showa-era tokusatsu, made when Toho were at their height of their game. It features almost all of the studio's well-known players, both in front of the camera and behind it, in the production of the film. The movie has some interesting quirks that give it some unique character and elevate it from the formulaic such as the, Moo's Empire, the Moo Empire's squad of flying kamikaze soldiers, their attempts at kidnapping people by driving right into the ocean, the underwater suits that look like a cross between the creature from the Black Lagoon and Bender from Futurama, and the fact that the civilization with its superior technology still arms their police force with spears and dress like the natives of Infant Island, although their choreography isn't quite as good. I think I also noticed that. The Media Blasters disc plays fast and loose with the translation, inserting the word Atragon for Kaite Gunken, which means undersea battleship in Japanese. In fact, the word Atragon doesn't appear in the original film at all. It was a word AIP made up as the name of the ship when they were releasing the film in the U.S. to theaters. The Japanese name of the ship is Gotengo. For the DVD, they kept Gotengo, but inserted Atragon for undersea battleship. Confusing, huh? Mike was struck this time by the inclusion of the two photographers and the police detective in the action throughout the film. There seemed no real reason to include these people in the search for Atragon and Captain Jinguchi, and it especially seemed weird that Makoto would form this kind of sort of romantic thing with the guy that was kind of sort of stalking her at the film's beginning. We didn't really talk about that. That was a little weird. According to Guy Tucker... The role of Captain Jinguchi almost went to Toshiro Mifune. Now that would have been something. Appearing once again is the bugbear of these cleaned-up DVDs, Visible Wires. Mike guesses he'll never get his childhood back. This was Herman's first time ever seeing this film. Manda, being one of his least favorite kaiju, was not enough of a draw to inspire him to make the extra effort to seek out the movie. In fact, he was only vaguely aware that Atragon was Manda's origin uh, because of Final Wars. But thanks to KaijuCast, he finally got off his butt and watched this film. It's always fascinating to see one of these old Toho films for the first time. However, he doesn't think this is a movie he feels the need to see again. 
Herman actually found Latitude Zero, being far more silly, more fun and entertaining to watch. Atragon just takes too long to actually show the sub or Manda in action. On the good side, all of the models and miniature sets were fantastic. The lavish live sets of the Moo Empire were beautiful. And as far as the story goes, to him, the most intriguing element was how this film explored Japan's wounded national pride with the Admiral wanting to reestablish Japan as a global power. It was interesting how they took a subtle jab at the West by suggesting Japan nationalists would have superior technology in such circumstances. All in all, Herman's curiosity has been satisfied and he probably won't watch this film for a long time. There you have it, our Daikaiju discussion homework. Thank you to everyone who submitted. I really, really do appreciate when we have like a movie that's this difficult to find and annoyingly expensive uh, that people are still able to get that in. Obviously, there are people out there that already own the film, like myself, so the good news and bad news. Uh, the good news is that I know what our next movie is for our Daikaiju discussions for January 2014. The very first film that we're going to cover in the next year is Super Monster Gamera, which is the bad news. That movie is terrible, but feel free to rip on it. It's going to be an interesting watch. I haven't seen it in quite some time. I am going to say that you need to have your homework turned in by Saturday, January 25th, in order to be included in that discussion homework. Now, I have been talking for a little while all by my lonesome, so I'm going to take a little break by playing the Bukamisha Weird Secret Society's version of Atragon's main title, and then we'll get into the news. <laughs> reporter Eric Carter with the news. The world is stunned to discover that prehistoric creatures exist in the 20th century. The armies have been alerted as we wait for more news from Japan. So we don't have a ton of news to talk about this month. One of the items is that the Godzilla toys have been placed back for sale or back up for pre-order, I should say, on Big Bad Toy Store. Uh, now, this is one of those things where we don't know what they look like yet. Apparently, According to some sources, the rumor is that the embargo on showing the toy images is going to be lifted in January, which of course means that we're going to get to see the monster in January, which is pretty cool for the movie coming out in May. That means there's not going to be this big crazy reveal. Uh, hopefully that just means good things and that 
everything's all good for that. But what I will say, even though I'm going to have a link in the show notes to um, the line on Big Bad Toy Store, and I'm sure you can probably find it for other stuff as well. They don't have photos of the of the actual toys. It's just sort of like a placeholder image, I'm sure, until the embargo is lifted. The other side of this coin is that as we continue down these months until the release of the Legendary Pictures Godzilla, we're going to see more and more information. I'm actually going to start cutting that information off. I really don't want to know too much about this film. I just really want to let it happen and enjoy the film sort of from a fresh perspective. Someone recently asked me if I was going to watch more trailers. I'm going to watch probably the first official trailer of the film, and then I'm going to cut it off. I'm just not going to do any more stuff about the Godzilla movie. I will have some coverage on the show, but nothing that gets into any sort of spoilers or uh, links to any spoilers either. So just to let you know, that's where I'm going with it. If you want that kind of information, there are websites out there like Godzilla-Movies.com, which I'm sure are going to spill all of the beans as soon as they can for that big scoop. But don't be looking to the kaiju cast for that. Uh, anyway, that is one news item. The other news item comes from our good friends at Sci-Fi Japan. Apparently, Tsuburaya Productions, in celebration of its 50 years of being around, is going to hold the 50 Years of Ultra Heroes and Special Effects Programs exhibition. Uh, it sounds really cool. I, of course, wish I was in Japan to see this. Check the link on the show notes for this article. It starts December 12th, so it's already happening. And it goes through February 16th, 2014. If you are in Japan and interested in Ultraman, you might want to check it out. That pretty much does it for the news. I just have a couple of housekeeping things to talk about. The first and foremost item, something that you really need to remember, mark your calendars for January 12th because the emergency broadcast is returning for its third year of uh, of awesome live broadcasting. I've said it before, it's a little bit like we're having a an online listener party, but uh, the emergency broadcast is the third one we're doing. We'll have cool guests Skyping in. We will have prizes to give away, and I don't have, I mean, I've been gathering prizes basically all year long for this. It's not a massive amount. We're probably going to do prize packs again, but I do have something very cool to announce uh, that I haven't talked about yet. Basically, one of our prize sponsors is Mark Jaramillo, who's the guy who's tracked down uh, the director of Wolfman vs. Godzilla, the fan film, and Mark Jaramillo sent these awesome posters that he had made. If you were at G-Fest, you probably saw them there. But we have a few of those to give away in the prize packs. We have stuff coming, uh, still coming in for that. We have stuff from my own stash of Godzilla stuff. Every prize pack will include a Legendary Pictures San Diego Comic-Con poster. Uh, just there's a ton of stuff. We're going to be doing the exact same thing we've done every year, which is uh, trivia questions. And uh, we will actually have a chat room open, that chat room. And the stream are brought to you by the Mediocre Radio Network. And the last thing that I will mention about the emergency broadcast is that we'll be debuting something brand new to the KaijuCast. And um, I just wanted to give you guys a little taste. Check it out. I'll have details of that that I'll be posting in the Facebook event. So make sure you check that out. There will be a link in the show notes to it. I've been addicted to the X-Plus figures for quite some time, and I'm a member of a group on Facebook called the X-Plus Collectors Group. We basically talk about X-Plus figures and, 
it's a really fun group to be a part of. Uh, and I've met some really cool people. Speaking of the cool people I've met, one of them is Rich Eso. He is a YouTube reviewer, and he started a live Google Hangout uh, called Fresh Vinyl Live. And we've been doing this once a month. I've been on, I think I've been on like three episodes so far, and uh, he keeps asking me back. So it's fun to do. They're long, super long. If you think a two-hour podcast is long, <laughs> then you're in for a shot because these go like four hours. But it's a ton of fun to talk with these guys and you can watch it all happen live, and then it gets posted later. But I'll be part of the next Fresh Vinyl Live happening January 17th. Uh, check the link in the show notes for the trailer that Rich made for that. Don't forget that if you want to turn your homework in for the next Daikaiju discussion film, which is Gamera the Super Monster, that's how it's labeled on the DVD that was released from Shout Factory, make sure you have that sent in by January 25th to be included in the discussion episode. We are just going to close out the show. There's not really much more to talk about. I'm really getting excited for the live emergency broadcast. Hopefully you will join us for that. Uh, I'm super excited that we're getting hosted on the Mediocre Radio Network. That is just awesomeness because they don't have those stupid restrictions with uh, limiting the people in the chat. And we won't have those problems with the chat room like we had last year. So if you found the KaijuCast through iTunes or some other podcast directory make sure you point your web browser to kaijucast.com where you can see everything that we're about uh you know something that i don't talk about quite often is that every monday afternoon from the kaijucast hq we stream live monster music from the time i wake up until the time i go to sleep or on a whim i might do something like play three days worth of music so extend the the uh the listening out anyway uh, that's a lot of fun. I post the links to that in the Facebook page and and on the actual KaijuCast website. Monster Music Mondays is what that's called. Uh, we also have the commentaries that are linked to, but you can go to commentaries.kaijucast.com, downloadable com commentaries that you can listen to. We are planning our next one. Uh, it seems to me that every time I see one of these films that doesn't already have a commentary, I just say, ooh, we could do that one. Problem is they all have, you know, you have to do a lot of research for them. Uh, we have links to our social media pages as well, Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, etc. We have the YouTube channel. Uh, anyway, we are going to go ahead and kill this, make it the last episode of 2013. 2013, you've been a pretty good year for the Kaiju cast. Let's bring in the new year, uh, the year of Godzilla 2014 with a big bang. And uh, let's finish this year out with a request for Take Me Higher, the Ultraman Tiga Japanese theme song for Ben. We will see you next year. Jamata.
Let's do it. 